We are uh, starting a series of sermons called Known. Known. And, you know, in this day and time, you know, folks like, some folks like to make themselves known and, uh, you know, share everything that's on, on their mind. You know, uh, right now that book out by Prince Harry, Spare, you know, some, some of y'all might have rushed to the bookstore and gotten that one. Uh, but, you know, the, there's some things that, well, why do they share everything that, uh, that they have about themselves? I mean, people are looking at the deep mysteries of Buckingham Palace as, as they're reading that, but who really cares of Kate and Megan had a fight over lip gloss. I mean, big deal, you know. But we, as we share in this, in this series together, are going to, to declare the fact that uh, we are known by God, everything about us. And so we're going to talk about what that means. And particularly uh, today, we're going to uh, hear some wonderful words, despite the labels that are placed upon us, uh, that we are astonishingly and wonderfully made. And thank you, choir, for helping remind us of that. He sang that beautiful song, Amazing Grace, uh, our chains are gone. So thank you, choir. And thank you, Dana. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Uh, over there. Imagine sitting with your husband. Imagine that, you know. So glad you're here today. Here now the word of the Lord is found in uh, the book of Psalms, the 139th chapter. And we're going to go uh, through this psalm over the next few weeks. But we're not going to start with verse 1. We're going to start out with this truth uh, about what God says of us. The psalmist writes, For you form my inward parts. You met me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, we live in a day and time when folks share all sorts of stuff. I mean, we, we look on social media. We look on Instagram. We, we, we look on Facebook. And, and people share, well, usually this Stuff they like to brag on, this good stuff. Look at my children and how well they've done in school. Lots of folks like to share. Look at my grandchildren, even better, right? I mean, look how great they are. Look at all the wonderful stuff they're doing. Look at all the accomplishments. Look what they're, they're, they're achieving. Uh, they'll share pictures at the holiday season. Look at my beautifully decorated home. And as some of us are looking at that, we think about, well, yeah, that house is beautifully decorated, but all I see is dust bunnies running around my house from dog fur and everything like that. Or, or they're taking pictures of their, of their beautiful, a roast that they made or pulling out of the oven they're sharing oh I just shared this beautiful dinner and uh, you may have pulled out of the oven something that's on fire you know you know it, it, it's flaming there in the oven I mean you, you, we see everybody's good stuff when they share online when they post on social media right I mean they're, they're sharing the good things about themselves and every now and then you're going to see someone share uh, please pray for me you know, there's some health issue that's going on. There, there's some crisis that's happening. You know, the, the folks in Selma and in that area of central Alabama uh, are, have dealt with all those, those tornadoes. Uh, a, a couple families in Otaga County, which is spelled like Watauga County, uh, seven folks were killed. You know, so we lift up stuff like that. But have you ever really seen anybody, when they're dealing with situations like this, share, you know, uh, I'm really scared about what I'm dealing with. I'm really afraid what's going on at night. As I go to bed at night, I'm having a hard time sleeping because what I am dealing with is burdening me so much. Have you, have you had anyone share that? I haven't seen uh, too much of that. Or 
Someone, has anyone shared that they're dealing with some besetting sin online on social media? I mean, Prince Harry did, yeah, I'll get that. But, you know, Prince Harry and some folks are, you know, you know these reality stars that, as Jer- Jeremiah describes of them in the sixth chapter, uh, they haven't forgot how to blush. You know, there, there are folks that will share that, but most of us, we don't reveal what's really going on inside, the inner parts of ourselves, the things that scare us, the things that we're ashamed of, the things that we wish we hadn't done, those regrets. You, you don't see that stuff posted, do we, online? Well, this series we're going to talk about as we go through it, uh, we're going to realize that all this stuff, all the things that we brag about, you know, the things we post online, how great our kids are, how beautiful that roast is, and the things that, well, we may not share so freely. God knows about them all. God knows about them all. And as you'll see in the article that's going to be shared on Wednesday, uh, there's a phrase that if you hold on to this phrase, you, you've got basically the, the whole of the sermon series. Now, I encourage you to come uh, to the rest of the series. You're going to miss some good music if you, if, you, if you don't come. But this line that I hope you'll remember is something that I hope that you will grasp hold of. It's, it's, it's this. God sees us as we can be, but loves us as we are. God sees us as we can be, but loves us as we are. That's the gist of what we're getting at. God knows all about each and every one of us. And as we'll talk further through this very message, you know, the the thing that is said from the very beginning about us is that we were created as human beings, and it was very good. As we look at that very first chapter of Genesis, you know, God uh, creates light and the heavens and the earth and the plants and the waters and uh, the heavenly bodies and creates the animals on that sixth day. We, you know, we share the day with cows, y'all. But it, at, at the end of every day, God saw that it was good. But when humans, when we and you, me and you show up on scene, what is the words that God uses? Very good. God saw that was very good. For from the very beginning, God has seen us and says it's very good. That's the core of who we are and what God intends for us to accept that label. And very good. The problem is that we have been labeled in some form or fashion in our lives. I mean, we have been, been given labels and maybe as, as children, and those things stick with us, and we, and we try to measure up to them. I, when, I, when I was living in Alabama, I took part in a ministry that several of you all in this church are part of. It's called Kairos Prison Ministry. I know Ken Conley and several others in our congregation uh, do that. And I was part of the Kairos Ministry at the Fountain Correctional Institution outside of Atmore, Alabama. And one of the times we were there, uh, they have a... a, a time of sharing that the brothers in white, that's what we call them, they're not prisoners, the brothers in white would get up and share what the weekend had meant to them. And this fellow from Mobile got up and said, as a kid, I felt like I was a thrown away child. I felt like I was disposable, unwanted. My father abandoned us. My mother oftentimes chose her love of drugs over her love for me. I was told that I was troubled and that I I was someone that would misbehave. And so I felt like I wasn't worthwhile. I felt like I didn't matter. And so I acted that out. 
I acted out that I was a troublemaker because that's what I was called. I acted out like I didn't matter because that's what I was told. And me and a lot of the other guys here are living that out, warehoused away in a place, as most prisons are in Alabama, that is overcrowded, that has unsanitary conditions, and is very dangerous. I was living out what I was told I was, this man said. And maybe you're living out what you were told. Now, I don't think anyone in here is incarcerated right now. Any, any escaped convicts in here right now? Any, any, anybody? Uh, uh, okay, okay, we won't have to call the cops in. But you aren't inca- incarcerated, obviously, you're here. But I imagine each and every one of you is imprisoned by some label that has been placed upon you by others, by society, by how you are meant to feel, by what you see and experience around you. That's what happens in life, doesn't it? That's why, as Pastor Patty said, I I hope you'll take time to write on that little piece of paper that's in your bulletin and write down maybe some label that has been given to you. And if you're online, do that. And we'll we'll talk about what you're going to do with that at the end of the service because we have all been labeled by something, by somebody being less than the person that God has created us to be and has dreamed us to become. For you see, what we are in the eyes of God ultimately is that, first of all, he sees us as fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what, uh, that's what the psalmist says there, right? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, wonderfully, we get that, but fearfully? Fearfully, I mean, are we all scary? Ah, you know, look at us. We, you know, we, we're to fear each other? No. You know, the word should be maybe trans, uh, translated awesomely. Or I like the word astoundingly. You are astoundingly and wonderfully made. But we have a, a hard time claiming that, don't we? We have a hard time uh, grasping hold of that great fact that we are astoundingly and awesomely made. Psalm 139 uh, was written, you know, you're going to see commentaries all over the place on it, but the, the fellow that wrote it more than likely was dealing with some accusations that were going on. Uh, and as you'll hear, Dale Williams next week preached so beautifully. He's going to talk on those first five verses. But in those first five verses, you know, he's got, God knows everything about us, knows our thoughts, knows what's going on. And, and I'm dealing with, uh, with these accusations, maybe self-incrimination, maybe something that someone's saying. But he's dealing with these things. And he may be uh, someone like uh, some of y'all might be. He was, he was oversensitive or hypersensitive to maybe the, the, the sense of sinfulness he had in his own life. You've heard me talk about the story of of Martin Luther, that uh, the Reformation began because Martin Luther was so sensitive, uh, so aware of his guiltiness, that every little thing that he felt like he had to go to his priest to confess, I mean, everything. If you even have some little bad thought about somebody, he was running to his confessor to say, I've had this bad thought. He was so hypersensitive to those things. In fact, it got so bad with his priest that the priest would see him coming and the priest would run the other way. How would you like that if, you, if I started running from you, you know? Oh, here he comes. I better get out of here. Yeah. 
I don't have a back door to my office escape, folks. I just want to let you know that. Yeah, but that's what Martin Luther was dealing with. And that started the Reformation when he realized uh, that we are justified uh, through faith in Christ. You might know people like that. I I had a lady in, in one of my churches in a small town. And she said growing up as a Methodist, you know, uh, she would go uh, to those Baptist night church services because a lot of her friends did. And at the end of a lot of those services, what would they do? They would uh, preach fire and brimstone and then ask for an altar call. And she went down every time. She went down every time. And the preacher realized that she was a little hypersensitive. And she, and one time she went down there and the preacher, she told the story, grabbed her and patted her on the on the shoulder and said, well, our little Methodist is coming to get saved again. You know, some of us might be that way, super sensitive to the faults and our failures and the labels that have been placed upon us by ourselves or by others. But I love uh, our Methodist understanding. I like the way John Wesley has put together our theology. For Wesley said borrowing from the Eastern uh, Orthodox tradition, that instead of leading with this notion that has come down to most of the Western church, that we are totally depraved, he said, no, the first thing that's said about us is that there is an original goodness before there is an original sin. An original goodness before there is an original sin. So the deep core of who we are and who we're intended to be, there is this astoundingly and wonderfully made individual. And what Christ comes to do is to set that straight, to unwarp the warped image of God that sinfulness and our brokenness has placed upon us. There is an original goodness, you see. And our grace-filled theology as United Methodists proclaim that we're not totally depraved. No, the original beauty within us has been soiled, covered up, warped. And Christ comes to restore that, you see. When uh, this summer I had a chance to go to Chautauqua and be uh, the speaker at the United Methodist House. And while I was there, though, I got to hear other speakers. I almost said other great speakers, but I won't claim that for myself. But I got to hear other speakers in, in, the, in the community there. And one of them was J. Philip Newell. J. Philip Newell uh, was, as a, a pastor, was a pastor in the Scottish Reformed Church. And he, he was trying to help our society of our time to reclaim the Christianity of the first Britons, the Celts and talked about the beautiful way that they relate to the world and to the environment and the things all around us. And he he had a beautiful way of speaking. And he shared in his book, The Christ of the Celts, how uh, when we start with this original sin, that we get a warped nature of who humanity is, if we see people first and foremost as sinners. He said, well, I discovered in the beautiful birth of my children, the fact that these children, though they are coming into a world of sinfulness and brokenness, and yes, they have been affected by that. When I held that baby, I was seeing the face and feeling the skin of God. 
And then he goes on to say, as I had parents come to have their children baptized, they come and bring their children because they wanted to have the sinfulness washed away from them. No, he said, in gratitude they came because they realized that they were bringing something precious, a representative of the very beginning. The smells and the scents and the sight and the sound of God. Wow. Wow. I like the way Gerard Manley Hopkins talks about this Christ-like nature that is in part of the image that God imprints on us. He said in his poem, The Herculean Nature, every person has within them the immortal diamond of Christ waiting to be born. Christ waiting to be born, the immortal diamond. I love that term. It's in there, waiting to be mined. Well, here's, here's a passage of Scripture that goes along with that. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 says, You are Christ's workmanship, created for good works in Christ. You are Christ's workmanship, created for good works in Christ. The word workmanship in the Greek is poema. Poema. And what's that sound like? Anybody? Poema? Poema. All right. Wait. On TV, can you type it in? Because these folks are sleeping here. What, what, what does poema sound like? Poem. Thank you. You are God's poem. Written by the hand of God himself or herself. You're God's poem. Created from the very beginning for good works in Christ. You're God's poetry, you see. Each and every one of us are that. Created for good works in Christ. I like that, don't you? That each and every person, no matter who they are, the very core of who God created them to be, is astoundingly and wonderfully made. Everybody, everybody. That brother in white I was telling you all about earlier, at the core of who he was, he's a big burly fellow. I mean, if you saw him, he'd scare you. I mean, he, he, he really uh, looked like a rough dude. But at the core of who he was and is, he is astoundingly and wonderfully made. And get this, y'all, at the conclusion of his talk, he said, if I had heard about this love and heard that I was somebody that was created in God's image from the very beginning when I was a child, I would not be in this place being weird housed by society. Some of y'all may have been told as a child that you didn't measure up. Some of y'all might have been told at some point in life that you're no good. Some of y'all might have been told uh, that because well, you might have been a little too fat, or too thin, weren't as talented as the others. And those things resonate still to this day. And some are told right now, you're too old, too frail, past your prime. Now you're astoundingly and wonderfully made. Each and every one of you and you. All y'all. That means everybody. Yes, that brother in white 
Yes, that fella who was flying down the mountain in my neighborhood got right on my bumper as I was trying to get to work early in the morning. I mean, he was right there and honking his horn. And I guess, you know, because I decided to go to the speed limit that time, he stayed there on my bumper all the way down the hill. You know what I'm talking about. You know, people like that. You know, at the moment, I wasn't saying he was astoundingly and wonderfully made. I'll assure you of that. But as I reflect back on that, he is. Or uh, the person as you drive around town that has some bumper stickers on that get you mad. I don't know what it is about the high country, but I've seen more bumper stickers on cars than anywhere else. Dude, is that what people hold the cars together with there if they get rusty and stuff? You just slap some bumper stickers on it, and you'll, it'll go for another thousand miles. I mean, there's bumper stickers everywhere, and some of them, well, I don't know about you, but I look at it and say, really? You know, is that what it? Yeah, I see people shaking their heads. But guess what? That person that's driving in that car with that bumper sticker, that, that car that's being held together by those bumper stickers, is astoundingly and wonderfully made. And you might have had somebody that spoke ill of you, maybe whispering behind your back or someone that has done you wrong. Guess what? That person is astoundingly and wonderfully made at the core of who God intends them to be. Think about that. Everyone made in the image of God is astoundingly and wonderfully made. So we're going to do something. Make sure that you're still awake and paying attention. I want you to turn some people around you and tell those people that, hey, you're astoundingly and wonderfully made. And if you're watching online, tell somebody, text somebody, do something. Uh, But communicate with those around you that, hey, you're astoundingly and wonderfully made. You're astoundingly and wonderfully made. Wonderfully made. Josie, you're astoundingly and wonderfully made. Carson, you're astoundingly and wonderfully made. Patty, you're astoundingly and wonderfully made. You're astoundingly and wonderfully made, Paul. And you too, Harold. Pat, you as well. Astoundingly and wonderfully made. Folks online, you're astoundingly and wonderfully made. Every one of y'all, every one of you is astoundingly and wonderfully made. The trouble is that we have let society, we have let the labels, we have let things that we've seen online, we've let what someone said to us as a kid, we have let what someone may have said to us at work be the label that we claim for ourselves. But I love what Brian Stevenson, uh, the fellow that wrote Just Mercy, some of y'all might have read that or seen the movie, founder of the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, said this, he said, No one is as bad as the worst thing that they have ever done. No one is as bad as the worst thing that they have ever done. Even Vladimir Putin. Wow. Mm, That's hard. It is hard. But what if he thought that about the people around him? Could have he invaded Ukraine? Or those poor Russian conscripts fighting in a war they don't want to fight in. 
But hearing interviews with them said, well, that's just what our lot in life is. That's what we're supposed to do. If they claim for themselves that I'm a, I am astoundingly and wonderfully made, could they throw their lives away like that? And what if in the history of the church, instead of claiming the doctrine that's been so central to so many expressions of Western Christianity, that the first thing that we say to somebody, you're a sinner, but instead said this, that, you know, within you there is something astoundingly and wonderfully made. The doctrine of original sin has caused us at the core of who we are as Western Christians to go to places and look at people as less than being human beings. Could we have gone to Africa and enslaved other people if we felt at first that they were astoundingly and wonderfully made? Or could we have wiped out the Native American populations like we have, our ancestors have, we said, no, y'all are astoundingly and wonderfully made and how can we share this gorgeous land together? But here we are. So how do we move ahead? Well, by seeing everybody at the core of who they are in the image that God intends for them to become through Christ to live out this great truth that they're astoundingly and wonderfully made. That's what love can do. That's what love can do. You know, I love stories. Y'all have had me around long enough to know that I tell stories. Because I, I, stories touch my heart. I don't know about you, but they, they touch my heart. I, I remember, I don't remember a lot of the sermons that I had as a, as a kid, but I remember the stories from which those sermons came. I remember the stories, and I bet you do too. And some of y'all are old enough, just some, not everybody, but just some of y'all are old enough to remember that book that came out in the early 90s, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Any of y'all remember that? Yeah, it was, oh yeah, some of y'all do. You might pull it out, because I mean, I, I reread through some of it. Oh my gosh, it's so neat, it's so wonderful. Makes me want to go hug people, you know, because it talks about the, the, hug, the huggers in there. We need eight hugs a day, y'all, so remember that. But in one of the stories in there, um, it tells about a study done by a group of sociologists uh, in the inner city of Baltimore, Maryland. And it looked at a group of young boys growing up in the slums of Baltimore in the housing projects. And this group of sociology students from, I think it was the University of Maryland, uh, went into that neighborhood and began to project the future of 200 boys in that neighborhood. And, and it said this about them. It, it, the study came out because of the poverty, because of the lack of parental supervision, because of, of the... Uh, substandard public housing in which a lot of them lived because, uh, you know, a lot of them were in single parent homes and a mama was having to work three jobs just to put food on the table. Uh, and the gangs that were around there, they, they said, well, the future of these kids is not going to be too bright at all. They predicted that they would, uh, by, before they reached adulthood, they'd be in dead or incarcerated or uh, they'd be doomed to living in poverty, maybe on public welfare for all the rest of their lives. 
And so they did their study. And any of you all in academia know what happens to studies is oftentimes you write them up and they're put on a shelf and lost deep in the bowels of the library. As someone who's done some writing like that, I know it's way in the bowels of the library. Okay, well, 25, 30 years later, a sociology class in the same school decided to go through and look at this study again. And they began to read it and they said, I wonder what has become of these kids. I wonder if truly they have had this bleak background that uh, these people predicted. Being in prison or dead or, 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 you know, living in poverty. And as they found out, looking at these young people, they were able to track down 174 of the 200. And as they interviewed and, and found these young, young men, they found this, that those 174 young men were successful. Businessmen, doctors, lawyers, pastors. And they said, this is astounding. What's happened? And so when they started to interview these young men, almost to the person, they said this. There was this teacher. There was this teacher. And so they said, we got to find this person. And it happened to be a, a, a woman that had taught in that area for a long, long time. And she was still alive. And the professor himself said, I got to go interview this person. Because if this teacher can make such an impact on these boys that were, were supposedly doomed to failure and poverty and jail, what, what, what secret she must uphold? She's going to be able to give us the key to change education. Make sure that all the kids that we have in our schools are going to succeed. And so they went and interviewed her. She, she, as I said, she's still alive, living in a modest home. They knocked on uh, her door, and she came to the door. And she was a little bit frail, but still had a spryness about her and a, a gleam in her eyes. And they told why they were there and said, well, yeah, oh, they, these young men, they've succeeded. And they all said this, that there was this teacher. And they, and they said, it's you. Tell us, what is the secret? You, you can change everything telling us what she did. And she got a bright smile on her face. And she said this, oh, it's quite simple. I just love those boys. I just loved those boys. You know, there was a teacher that came about 2,000 years ago. He came to a planet where Looking from the outside, it's just a bunch of failed human beings, warring, bickering, chasing after the things this world that bring to them their own destruction. And yet he came with his life to teach and proclaim that I have come to unleash within you the image of what my father has intended from the very beginning, to remind you remind you that you are wonderfully made. You are wonderfully made. And you're going to be invited forward here in a minute to put aside the labels that you might have written down on the piece of paper. For me, uh, I grew up by far the baby in my family. My nearest sibling was well over 10 years older than me. And no, they didn't mean to. Because of that age difference, I felt left out. 
while they got to stay up late to watch Johnny Carson, I had got sent to bed, you know. I was the one that has always felt, well, left out. But because of the good news of Christ's coming, I feel like I belong. And I don't know what label you have put down, but hear this truth. You are wonderfully and awesomely made. So, as we stand and sing our concluding hymn, whatever that label that has been placed upon you is, you're going to be invited to drop it in the basket and then put on a new label, a label that God gives to you, how truly, truly beautiful you are in his sight. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we know that we're broken. We know that we've failed. We know that uh, we do things that... Uh, cause others harm or self-harm. We are well aware of those things. But Lord, that is not the label that you in, have intended from us, for us from the very beginning. You help us through Christ to claim something more beautiful, more bright, more awesome, more wonderful. And that is a label of our being brought into your family. As you intended from before the dawn of time, that we are indeed children of yours. So help us, Lord, to claim that label for ourselves and let us live into it. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Before we stand this concluding hymn and bring the labels down, I forgot to do this. Imagine that. Uh, but we do a, a semi-weekly or bi-weekly text message. And... It gets sent to everybody that subscribes. And folks all over the country actually get it. You know, you know I, I hear from some other people around that uh, hear these things. And here's what it said today. May it truly be yours. No matter, what, no matter what others say, always know this deep truth. You're beautiful and you're wonderful at the core of your being. God said so from the very beginning of time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.